the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God often calls us to make sacrifices in our lives that are totally illogical. But he speaks to our hearts. And he says, are you willing to make that surrender to me? That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Here's Pastor Mark. Mary believed the God of the impossible. Now, there are times that we're going to face impossible circumstances in our lives. There are times that it's going to be necessary for us by faith to grasp the God of the impossible. Some of us will have challenges that are financial challenges, and some of you are going through them today. You want to do God's will, but you're facing tremendous financial challenges. We serve the God of the impossible. There are some of us that are going to face health challenges. We serve the God of the impossible. There are some of us that are going to face family challenges. We face the God of the impossible. Can you logically explain how the Holy Spirit can conceive the Christ child in the womb of Mary. There are times that Christianity is illogical. Now, God gives us enough faith to believe, enough evidence to believe. Christianity is believable. The prophecies of the Bible reveal its integrity. The life-changing power of Christ revealed in the Bible reveals the Bible's veracity, the coherence of the Bible, the archaeological finds. But you cannot explain logically how Moses walks into the Red Sea and that thing opens. There's no logical explanation for that. You cannot explain logically how manna falls from heaven. You cannot explain logically how Jesus walks with water. You cannot explain logically how Jesus breaks bread and it feeds 5,000. And you can't explain logically how the Holy Spirit conceives Christ in the womb of Mary. There comes a point of Christian life where you say, God, I'm going to lay my logic aside. And all my human reason I'm going to lay aside. And accept by faith that which you have said, and I believe in the God of the impossible. God is full of surprises. In fact, God seems to specialize in surprises, but especially the impossible. Many times we expect God to do one thing, and he does another. We anticipate his movement in one direction, but it's often in another direction. We trust him to handle something immediately, and he waits, and it seems like God's taking forever. And in other times we think we anticipate waiting for a long time, and almost overnight he solved the problem. God loves to do things that we have no power to do. And that's the way he's planned our lives. You see, we call it impossible. But God says there's no problem at all. Even the most overwhelming obstacle 
will not be impossible to overcome with God. You see, we're all faced with a series of great opportunities. But you know what? They're brilliantly disguised as impossibilities. We are faced with great opportunities disguised as impossibilities. Many times believers are convinced that there's no way that even God can intervene in their life. But they miss out on God's key work. Notice these three points. First, our impossibilities are channels through which God moves most powerfully. Every impossibility in your life is a platform for God to launch into his great work. God can do the very best work in our lives when we're faced with impossible situations. He can. He can. Why? Because there's no credit that goes to us. It all goes to God. Secondly, when God intervenes, his surprises are always for our best good and his glory. What do we learn from the message to Joseph? From the message to Joseph, we learn, don't be locked into your own ideas or plans. Listen to the voice of God. What do we learn from the message to Mary? We learn that second lesson. Never forget, when you face impossible situations in your life, God is the God of the impossible. But the shepherds want to speak to us this morning. They have a message from an angel, too. And the wise men, let's look at it. We go to the shepherds, Luke chapter 2. Luke, the second chapter. The message from the shepherds. What do they say to us this morning? This special time of year when people are thinking about the birth of Christ. Luke, the second chapter. Verses 8 and onward. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now I have read that text probably well over 100 times, probably 200, 300, 400 times. I've never seen something in it that is so simple I missed it. Have you ever read a text and you read that thing and read it and read it and then you miss something in it? Why didn't the angels say, we have an amazing announcement for you? Why didn't they say, we have a surprising announcement for you? Why didn't they say, we have a shocking announcement for you? When you read Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 it's as if the angels are saying to them, we bring you good tidings of great joy. You have been studying something. You've been looking at the prophecies. You've been anticipating something. You are shepherds in the field, but you are sensitive to the fact that the Messiah is coming. You have honest hearts. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. You simple shepherds are not like the narrow-minded, prejudiced priests in the temple. You are there seeking God. You're anticipating the coming of the Messiah. It's as if the angel is saying that. So the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you tidings of great joy. This day in the city of David, the Christ you've been anticipating, the Christ of prophecy, the Christ you've looked forward to, he has come, he's been born. Now, the interesting thing is this. Seventh-day Adventists have prophetic divine insight. And commenting on this passage in the book Desire of Ages, Ellen White says this. In the fields where the boy David had led his flock, shepherds were still keeping watch by night. Through the silent hours, they talked together of the promised Savior 
and prayed for the coming of king to David's throne. What were the shepherds doing that night before the angels came? What were they doing? They were talking about the coming of the Messiah. They were talking about the prophecies. They sensed that it was the fullness of time. They were praying that the Messiah would come. Their hearts were longing for the coming of the Messiah. It was a time of brutality and crime. You know, Herod was an amazing person. Herod was part Jew. He married a Jewish wife. He converted to Judaism. He did that to keep peace. He was a great builder. He did many, many things that were very positive for Judaism. In fact, he built the temple for Jews. But one problem that Herod had, he was suspicious of anybody that he would think would take over the throne. And he was ruthless. Herod murdered his own wife because she was getting some prominence that he thought that he should get. He murdered two of his own sons when he thought that they were more popular than him. When Herod knew that he was soon to die and his life was coming to an end, he was so ruthless, the Roman record says, that he knew that nobody would mourn for his death, that they would all rejoice at his death. So this is what he did. He wanted tears to be shed at his death. So he had imprisoned 300 of the top noblemen of all of Judea. And he said, when I die, kill every one of them because I want some tears shed at my death. And this is the only way anybody's going to cry. So kill every one of them. This was a time of corruption, moral corruption, political corruption, ruthlessness. It was a time of open immorality. It was a time of conflict, war, and strife. And the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Did the religious leaders of the day understand that the Messiah was going to come? Did the political leaders of the day understand that? But had the fullness of time come? Had the clock struck the hour and shepherds in the field, simple, honest shepherds. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter five, verse six, Matthew chapter five, verse six. Here is an amazing lesson for you and me living on the verge of the second coming of Christ. Matthew chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those that do what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Back now to Isaiah 44, verse 3. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit on your descendant and my blessing upon your offspring. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. God today fills with his presence those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. The lesson of the shepherds is very, very simple. It's this. Let your heart hunger after righteousness. Let your soul long for the presence of God. The shepherds out in a field had heaven illuminated with the glory of God. The lesson of Joseph don't get locked into your plans too much. Don't become so narrow and opinionated that you can't change. Let God speak to you. Let God's plans be your plans. The lesson of Mary. 
There's nothing impossible with God. Believe in the God of the impossible. The lesson of the shepherds. Day by day, moment by moment, let your heart hunger after righteousness. Let your heart hunger after God. And just like the darkness of the shepherd's night was illuminated with the glory of God, your heart will be illuminated with God's glory. When your heart's feeling dark like the darkness of night, let the star of Christ's light shine there. But there's one more lesson. We don't want to miss the lesson of the wise men. The hour is late, but the wise men are on their way, and we don't want to miss them. Take your Bible, please, and turn. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, the lesson of the wise men. What does that lesson say? Be prepared for a surprise here. Matthew chapter 2. We're looking there at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. They said, where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The wise men from the east, where were they from? Probably Persia. They were probably from Persia. How far was Persia from Jerusalem? About 1,500 miles. How long would it have taken them to get there? Probably three months, four months. That's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2 that the Holy Family were in a house. They weren't still in the manger. So the scenes that we have of the wise men coming to the manger probably are not accurate at all. They came, followed the star, didn't get there at that point of time, but came later when he was in the house. But that is not the main point. The point is this. Here are non-Jews. They are non-Jews. They're living in Persia, but they are studying prophecy. Now, how did God give them knowledge of prophecy? When the Jews went into captivity into Babylon and later Medo-Persia took over, the Jews translated the scripture and scripture was available to these wise men. So they could have studied prophecy. Secondly, Balaam the prophet who became an apostate prophet, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Numbers 24. So these men were studying prophecy. There were two particular prophecies that they would have been familiar with. One is found in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Now this was written 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So here Balaam, one who was a true prophet and false prophet, goes to this area, makes a prediction that a star is going to come out of Jacob, and that star is going to lead to the king of Israel. Quite amazing. They would have known that prophecy. So when they saw that star, that that star began to move, they had some sense that this was a prophetic vision. You look also at Micah 5, verse 2. They were students of prophecy. They were not Jews, but they were students of prophecy. I would like to suggest to you today that all over the world, there are those who are students of prophecy, not Seventh-day Adventists, but they are faithful men and women of God, studying the Word of God, and God is leading them to an understanding of His truth in this hour. Micah, the fifth chapter, the second verse, but Bethlehem. Out of you shall he come forth, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. So 1,500 years before Christ, Numbers predicts that a star would guide the wise men. About six to 700 years before Christ, Micah predicts that Jesus would be born where? Where would Jesus be born? In Bethlehem. And so the wise men sense that, and they come. Now, interestingly enough, Desire of Ages, page 60, says... 
It was not a fixed star nor a planet in the phenomena that excited the keenest interest. The star was a distant company of shining angels. But of this, the wise men were ignorant. I always wondered, how did that star move? Well, they looked up there. They saw this bright light. They think it's a star, and it moves across the heavens. What is it? It's a distant company of what? Angels that guide them right to the place. Men and women today who don't know Christ, don't know his message for these last days of earth's history, but they sense that we're living where something great and decisive is about ready to happen. They're studying prophecy. And God is leading them to his people. He's leading them to his truth today. When the wise men come, they come with three gifts. Back to Matthew chapter 2. The wise men come with three gifts. What are the three gifts that the wise men come with? Notice what they are. Verse 11. Notice it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, when they had come into what? The house. Now you know why it says they came into the house. That's not a mistaken translation. It took them three or four months to get there, probably. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Notice he's not a baby now. He's a young child still in the baby stage, of course. And fell down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift for a king. In the ancient world, if you come to a king, you present gold. Frankincense was used in religious services. It's a gift for a priest. Myrrh was used as an embalming agent to embalm the body. It was a gift for one that was going to die. So in the three gifts, we see Christ honored as Savior. Christ honored as priest. Christ honored as king. In the three gifts, we see the acknowledgement. Christ is the Messiah who is to die. The one who is to provide forgiveness and grace and mercy. Christ is the high priest that is to live. And Christ is the king of kings. Now, there's another aspect of those three gifts. Gold represents all material possessions. So when the wise men came with the gold, they were saying, Lord, all of our material possessions are yours. They're gifts that you've given us. We give this gold as a token of that. Frankincense was always used in worship. It was a sense that all of my worship is yours, Lord. I don't worship things. I don't worship some favorite TV idol or movie star or TV star. I worship Jesus. He is the supreme one in my life, the center of worship. That's frankincense. Myrrh had to do with the physical body. I give my body to you. So when you look at those gifts in a deeper way, what you're really saying is, as the wise men came with their gifts, we come with ours. We come and say, Jesus, no possession that I have is mine. It's yours. I give it to you. We come saying, all of my worship is yours. We come saying, Lord, my physical body is yours. Here's lesson four for an end-time people. A people guided by the prophetic word will make an all-out surrender to the living Christ holding nothing back. A people guided by the prophetic word. The wise men were guided by the prophetic word. And they came making an all-out surrender to Christ. Incidentally, how did Mary and Joseph support themselves for the year in Egypt? They had the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The gifts of the wise men enabled Mary and Joseph to support themselves on their journey in Egypt. Lesson four, a people guided by the prophetic word will make an all-out surrender to the living Christ holding nothing back. 
We live in an age that desires a crossless, accommodating, easygoing Christianity. A health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Just give your life to Jesus and you'll always be healthy, you'll be wealthy, the money will roll in, and you'll never have any problems. That's not the gospel of the New Testament. Gold, Lord, all my possessions are yours. Frankincense, all my worship is yours. Myrrh, my body is yours. God is calling us in a final generation to a deeper sacrifice than we have yet imagined. Consider the example of George Utley, a young British missionary. Utley, when he was in his 20s, made a commitment that he would give his entire life to Christ. And Utley went out to Africa as a missionary. While he was there in Africa, it was in the early days of missions, there were very few Christians at all, very few Christians at all in Africa at the time. And Utley was sharing his commitment to the living Christ, to sacrifice his entire life to Jesus. As he was there, he was approached by a group of tribesmen. And the tribesmen came with their axes and their bows and arrows, their spears. Utley at that time had a Winchester rifle, an automatic, and he could have easily killed these three or four men that surrounded him. He took his rifle and he began to think, if I kill these four men, it is going to set back the cause of Christian mission for generations. I would rather die. And he did. He did. His body was bloodied and left by the side of a river. When his body was found, his Winchester rifle with ten cartridges ready to fire were there, but he chose to give his life in self-sacrifice. Word of his death went through that region, and a mighty revival took place. And you may not realize it today, but today, one in every four Christians lives on the continent of Africa in the world. 23% of the world's Christians live in Africa, 600 million. God often calls us to make sacrifices in our lives that are totally illogical. But he speaks to our hearts. And he says, are you willing to make that surrender to me? Let's pray together. As we bow our heads to pray, we hear the angel's voice speaking to Joseph in the quietness of the moment, calling us to surrender our plans to God. We hear the angel speaking to Mary, calling us to believe in the God of the impossible. We hear angels speaking to the shepherds calling us, too, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We hear the angels' voices speaking through the wise men to make a sacrifice for you that may seem illogical to others, but a sacrifice of our life. And so today, Lord, we thank you for the call of heaven. We thank you 
for the moving of the Spirit. We thank you for the lessons that come from Joseph and Mary and shepherds and wise men. And we pray you that you would move upon our hearts and teach us those spiritual lessons necessary to prepare us for eternity. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget that you can find today's broadcast online at hopelives365.com. Survival is big business these days. People spend thousands of dollars on wilderness survival camps. They want to learn how to survive in light of all of these unprecedented natural disasters and the potential for nuclear attack. But there's one area that most people don't give much thought to, and that is spiritual survival. Pastor Mark's book, The Ultimate Survivor, will provide you with practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. And call right now to get that book. We'd love for you to have a copy. That is 888-244-HOPE. Don't forget that our prayer team is also available at that number 24-7 to pray with you. Join us again next time on Hope Lives 365. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.